So the voting has actually started in the 2024 presidential campaign now. And as everybody probably knows by now, Donald Trump won the Iowa caucuses by just over 51% and came ahead pretty significantly of Ron DeSantis and also Nikki Haley. And I feel like at this point, a lot of the news media, they're creating this fictional story of the race at this point. Does okay. it seem that way to you? Like they're pretending that Nikki Haley actually has a chance here. And it's so ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like because their interest in Ron DeSantis has fallen off, even if they were going to create some sort of fictional narrative, right? You would think that the one that they would create would reflect on the results that we just got from Iowa. So they would, the narrative should be pitting DeSantis against Trump, right? But mm -hmm. we don't care about that dude anymore. So Let's construct it around <laughs> Haley and Trump. Either of them are fanciful, but yeah, uh -huh. absolutely. It's yeah. And also the, I've seen a few takes that present it as if Trump has had some kind of runaway victory. It, like it was a surprise that he took the lion's share of the votes, but also if there was like there, we know that there are sort of a lack of, enthusiastic like there should be more interpretation mm -hmm. of these results that what journalism is supposed to do is kind of actually look at these numbers and tell us about them in a way that maybe most of us wouldn't read into and i feel like they're mm -hmm. taking the absolute simplest reading which is just to go wow trump is on a runaway winning train and not to tell us about these suppressed numbers of republican turnout in iowa or mm -hmm. maybe the lack of enthusiasm that we're seeing, what that might mean in a pairing against Biden. Like none of that it has been part of mm -hmm. the, the media conversation that I've seen. I've seen it from kind yeah. of minor pundits on social media, but those mm -hmm. those aren't the people who are speaking to millions, right? So yeah, he just barely got over half of the vote. And these yeah. are the hardest of hardcore Republican activists who show up for these things. Like this yeah. is not something that a normal person, you know, if you couldn't do vote by mail, you couldn't just show up and, and pop in and out and vote in 15 minutes. You had to sit there and waste your time for hours to participate in these things. I just barely got over 50%. And then their turnout was way down compared to 2016. So they had about 110,000 people this year and they had um, 183,000, I think it was in 2016. So, I mean, people are just not as interested in this guy republicans are like that right. that is the reality of him he is a weak candidate and it's it is odd that you don't see that pointed out more in the media yeah i mean it's it's only odd if we don't think about the way in which he has been such an advertising boost for the media for so long and how they want to continue that i mean they want stories that people will salivate over and yeah, well, and the other thing, though, about I, I do think to some degree the Biden White House is also playing coy with this as well, because, I mean, anybody can look at the polls that most polls, almost all polls show that Trump is the weakest against Biden compared to mm -hmm. Haley. Like, that's just the reality. And, and they see that, too, I'm sure. And so but they don't want to point that out to Republicans because that would make them less likely to vote for Trump. So in some regards, it's the same thing that we're seeing over the past, well, well when Trump was the president, that Democrats, they 
were both tacitly and overtly aiding MAGA extremists with the intent that, well, they're easier to beat. And it's kind of a dangerous gamble to some degree, I feel like, um, especially in this case with Biden, that they're they're not talking about how weak Trump is, is actually making Biden look more vulnerable. And Which is a narrative that the media confidence. loves and actually absolutely does. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, but I mean, I will say it is the case, of course, that we have New Hampshire as the next voting state and Haley is doing much better there than Ron DeSantis is in, in all the polls. And and that's largely because Ron DeSantis basically fashioned himself into this Christo-fascist candidate for evangelicals. And there aren't very many of those in New Hampshire. And then the other thing is that independents are allowed to vote there. And then, of course, Chris Christie dropped out and ostensibly he had some overlap with the support for Nikki Haley. They're both neocons who are liked by educated Republicans. But the reality is, though, I think even if she were somehow to do very strong second or even take first, I mean, the calendar just does not support yeah. her. I mean, you just go down the list. So, you know, after New Hampshire, we got the Nevada caucuses. And by the way, Nikki Haley is not even on the ballot in the Nevada Republican caucuses because they've got this weird double system in Nevada where they have a primary that is on February 6th. But it actually awards no delegates to the Republican convention if you're on it. And then, then they got the, the caucuses on the 8th, and she's not even on the ballot. So she will guaranteed get no right. delegates out of Nevada. And then, I don't know, Virgin Islands is also on the same day, but they've only got four delegates, so no one really cares. And then we got South Carolina, which she's going to lose South Carolina, her, her state that she was the governor of. And because, again, it's a very white, evangelical, heavy state, and that's not her base, and it never was. And then we got Michigan after that, which that's the Trump base. Michigan is extremely rural, actually, and lots of blue-collar white workers there, and that's that's Trump's base. Why would they ever vote for her? I don't, especially what he's doing now, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, he must feel a, a little threatened as much as Trump would, knowing that he's in the lead, uh -huh. although I guess... Someone as thin-skinned as Trump feels threatened all the time. But he <laughs> has reverted to form, which is to exploit racism among the base. And so he has started using uh, Nikki Haley's given name, Nimrata, uh, as a way to kind of remind voters that she is Indian American. Mm -hmm. Not one of us. Not one of us. So yeah, mm -hmm. on, on Truth Social, Trump sent out a message that complained that anyone listening to Nikki and in quote to use Nimrata, which he mis misspelled, by the way, her whacked out Probably speech, deliberately. thinks she won the Iowa primary. Yeah. So in, in the midst of just ostensibly complaining about her touting her placement wrongly, he dropped in her name and definitely a dog whistle to voters that she's different. One of these things is not like the other. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, but that's kind of classic. I mean, it's prior to this, he spent a day on Truth Social, basically tweeting out, I'm using tweeting, but whatever it is, socialing, truth socialing. <laughs> Truthing. <laughs> Truthing. Um, <laughs> just a bunch of stuff that claimed that because her parents weren't, citizens that she was ineligible to run again this was a mm -hmm. reminder to voters that you know it's it's you it's trump her. returning to but i mean this is how he kind of 
started his campaign before oh, he, no. he basically pushed the lie that Obama was a, a Kenyan Muslim who shouldn't have ever been president. And so it's oh, not no. surprising that he's doing this. And it's why wouldn't he? I mean, it's a thing that we've seen work. I mean, with their base, right? I mean, Vivek Ramaswamy, who also we should acknowledge dropped out, never had a mm -hmm. shot, but finally nope. dropped out after Iowa when I think he got, what is it, 7% roughly seven, of the vote? Yeah. Yep. Um, who himself is South Asian, used this boy earlier. I mean, on his website, he had a, there was a note to Nikki Haley where he also misspelled Nimrata, but used her her name. And it was definitely, I mean, as a fellow brown person, incredibly. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is someone who really leaned into anti-blackness throughout their campaign more than any other Republican candidate, which is really saying something. Uh, yeah. Ramaswamy was yeah. also someone who clearly recognized the way that reminding voters of Nikki Haley's background would help their prejudices flare. So it's it's something that we've mm -hmm. seen before playing on sort of the white supremacist vibes of the folks who compose their base is, is useful. And I think that mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting because Ramaswamy finally dropped out. And I, I mentioned that he leaned into anti-blackness. I've written about this a lot. This was, I think, one of certainly when he started off, it it seemed to be almost his his only platform because of the amount of time he spent talking about things like affirmative action, promoting the idea that the only racism that was really happening in this country was a result of justified white resentment because of affirmative action, attacking DEI programs, having conversations with neo-Nazis on his program like Richard Hanania. But one of the interesting things in the days ahead of Iowa was these conversations that they were having with Republican voters who again and again express their skepticism of, of him, him specifically because and who were openly acknowledged that it was based on his name, his skin color, essentially his foreign and his religion in quotes, yeah. right? And his religion and questions about what there was one voter who said that they they still hadn't gotten over 9-11 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as if that Which as everybody I mean, knows if, was the hindus fault <laughs> that's right, right i mean famously another voter asked his wife where she was born and, and, and there were a couple people who seemed to think that ramaswamy who who is from ohio had emigrated here and was his criticisms of the u.s suggested that maybe he should go back to where he came from. So I, I guess that mm -hmm. he should go back to Cincinnati. So uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. I mean, I don't know. None of the, he seemed, they would, if, if he was surprised by this and I highly doubt that he was, he would be the only person who was. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's yet another example of how marketing yourself as one of the good ones, it's never going to be good enough. And it, for, for both of them. But, I mean, Ramaswamy basically was trying to say that he was the more traditional, appropriate to Christians than Nikki Haley is. And that's basically what, what those attacks on, on her were for. 
But yeah, and but even then, it wasn't enough to get voters to want to, or Republican voters to want to go for him. And then, like, there's always going to be something wrong with you. Basically, the larger right wing paradigm in the United States is that you can be white, you can be Christian, you can be Republican, and if you're not one of those things, then you're automatically not an American. And if you are all of those things, then you are you deserve extra rights compared to everybody else. And that's pretty much the way things have been for a long time. And and this stuff is just coming out. Uh, it's, it's just so flagrant at this point. And Trump, uh, it, it's Trump's both a symptom and an exacerbator of symptoms as well, because he, he saw that this is what they wanted. And he's always been kind of racist himself, but he really leaned Kinda, into it. Kind of, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, but it's weird because like in the beginning when he became a public figure, he was mad at Pat Buchanan because he ran for the Reform Party nomination. And he he condemned Pat Buchanan, the far right yeah. uh, commentator, as having had a love affair with Hitler and being racist. That was what he said about him at the time. But this is a guy who, who he both doesn't believe anything, but he also believes whatever he says at the same time. So just pure nihilism. And but at the same time, if you go even further back, obviously, he had a lot of racist policies in his company and was trying to execute the Central Park Five, the young man. Now known as the Exonerated uh, Five. That's right. That were accused wrongfully of, of having raped a woman. And Trump wanted them killed and has never apologized for that. So it's, but it's like, that's that whole contradiction and non-rationality. It was the perfect fit for the Republican Party. And that's why he's doing so well. Yeah. Well, I, I also just want to add that I think that I mean, this is something that all of the candidates of color. So we this uh, before when there were when this was a much more crowded field. One of the things that the Republicans kept touting was the fact that they had the most diverse roster of of candidates yeah. running yeah, right Scott. in the primary. Yeah. And obviously we've we've seen a sort of dropping off of that as candidates fall away. But a thing that all of the candidates of color indulged in was a kind of anti-blackness. And the reason why I think, I mean, I think it initially did work for them in some ways. And that's, I feel like there's a larger message here or a larger lesson, which is certainly for the Brown candidates, leaning into anti-blackness was something that helped fuel them. They created this kind of, yes, we're different, but we're not black, right? You create distance mm -hmm. between yourself, some daylight between yourself and blackness, which is the ultimate sort of anathema in the U.S. But mm -hmm. the closer you get to the ring, the more it's going to matter that you aren't one of them. So Vivek could fuel his campaign on that for a bit. But at a certain point, mm -hmm. the fact they are they are going to hone in on the fact that you're not one of them. Right. It will ultimately matter in the end. Anti-blackness can only serve you for so long and it will not save you in a crowd like this. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he'll learn anything from it or certainly not publicly. I mean, he's a smart person. He's well aware of a lot of this stuff. He's someone who actually denounced Trump years ago in the same way that Nikki Haley mm -hmm. did. Right. I mean, she was very verbally, vocally against him when he was running initially, said that she wouldn't stop until we, she got someone who the KKK approved of out of the running and then became a part of his cabinet. So political yeah. grifters going to grift, but they're both smart people who who fully understand who they're appealing what they're to and what and what they need to do to to to, to get the votes. Yeah. And they and they or not so much, not so much. So, I mean, I, look, neither of them were actually running for this office. Right. They 
do, do we think that Nikki Haley actually thinks that she's going to be the, the candidate? No, I, I don't think that yeah. even from the outset, maybe maybe there was a tiny bit of because there was some sense that Trump was falling off. He was very bad at picking candidate. His his endorsement for candidates wasn't quite working for him anymore. There seemed to be a, a, a turning in in terms of like the Republican base and their regard for him. So maybe at the very beginning, there was a sense that they might actually be able to be at the top of the ticket. But I, I think it very quickly became obvious to them that that wasn't going to happen. And the VEC has just been running for a place in Trump's uh, administration from the very beginning. And I don't, I'm not sure that Haley's doing that at this point. Maybe it's just name recognition or profiteering afterwards, but here we are. Yeah. That, it was a bit of a tangent. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no worries. Yeah. And when, I mean, at this point, I, I, I would think that any any non we'll say non Christian non white person who is going for Republicans looking at these things that are happening happening to your candidates or people who are like you you know you're you're willfully blind or sociopathic to some degree or another to <laughs> to be into this stuff and, or and, just and you really stupid <laughs> yeah basically and and like I think in Ramaswamy's case I mean the guys. To me, he just seems like a classic sociopath who will say anything and do anything to get advantage for himself. And he doesn't care what it is. And, and that's, that's who the Republican Party is. I mean, in that sense, Trump has, it has made the party more of that. It was always about sort of welfare for rich people. But now he sort of was turned on the, the signal, the beacon to say, well, if you're also a sociopath, you can come over here and we'll... We got, we got a place for you, <laughs> but one symptom of sociopathy is always portraying yourself as the victim of everything in mm -hmm. all cases, in all moments. And certainly that's exactly what Donald Trump has been doing as his legal strategy. There, there's that old saying among lawyers that you have to argue the facts or you argue the law. And if you can't do either, then you pound the table and that pretty much is the entire Trump legal defense strategy at this point, because they know that in terms of the laws that he's accused of violating, whether it's improperly retaining classified documents uh, that he wasn't allowed to have, or whether it was, you know, illegally uh, inducing people to commit fraud in terms of presenting themselves as fake electors or just all the crimes that he's accused of. A, a wealth of crimes that you It's right from. there. <laughs> Yeah, An that's embarrassment right. Embarrassment of riches on the crime front. Yeah, and but and the evidence is all right there that he did it, and anybody can see that he did these things. Oh, and uh, and the and, fact that he also quite frequently admits to doing it. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> there's also that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and so basically, he's essentially decided to turn the trials into a political weapon for himself as well because that's he knows he can't win on the law and he knows he's going to lose these things and he gets his lawyers to act act the fool in the courtroom as well and um you know like they in his e jane carroll rape defamation case right now that's going on his attorneys they tr they filed a disingenuous motion to delay the trial because melania trump's mother had died but then the judge was like, well, wait a second, you are scheduling a campaign event that same day. And also, I'm not requiring you to be in the courtroom at all for this. You've never had to be here. This is a civil trial. So you have no no requirement. And so, no, I'm not going to delay, delay the trial. And 
And that seems pretty obvious to anybody. I would think if you just look at those facts, there's how can you argue with them? You can't. <laughs> um, and so what they've done instead is just try to portray, uh, you know, Trump the victim that, oh, he's he's being persecuted. And so he's a lawyer, Alina Haba, the former parking lot attorney. That's literally what she was doing before she was working for Trump, was working for a parking lot company. And uh, <laughs> um, she has, has been gotten up in court three different times trying to, even after her motion to delay was denied, she's gotten up repeatedly and tried to argue for it. And finally, the judge was like, look, I've already said no to this repeatedly. Sit down. And, and like, but that's, that's gold for Trump with his base yeah. because they, they, they see themselves as the victims of everything. And, right. and to some I, mean, extent, that's, I was going to say, that's the kind of shared thing that I think that like Trumpology, yeah. it's based on this idea of victimhood. And so they, when, when they see him kind of their mm -hmm. savior yeah. talking about his own victimhood, it's something that they can share in. And so it makes them even more sympathetic toward him. Yeah, and, and they literally do, and you see this in interviews of, of Trump fans every now and again, like they, they will say things uh, occasionally that he was, he was in almost, in, he was indicted for our sins. Uh, <laughs> and he yeah. was, like this, this is not an exaggeration. They say things like this. And I mean, there, there, um, there was a video circulating, you and I both watched it, I know, where, I, yeah. they, I, the, and I think you might be also thinking of this one, this woman literally said, I mean, in this, maybe a 30 second clip. She didn't just say he, he was indicted for our sins. She, she literally first referenced Jesus and said that when she thinks mm -hmm. of Jesus, I mean, she literally put pointed to, to Trump as a messianic figure. I mean, that's how yeah. lost these cult members are at this point, which yeah. if you're paying attention, everyone already knows, but wow. Being indicted for you. Um, my first thought went to, well, Jesus Christ died for my sins. Jesus died for me. And so I, it connects in my brain that way, like, okay, he's doing this for us as a country to make the changes we need to make, and he's the target where we don't have to be. Yeah, yeah, well, and it's, and the, the tragic irony of that situation, though, is that to some extent, these people are victims, but they're the victims of the Republican Party. That's actually who victimized them by outsourcing their jobs or weakening labor unions and trying to, to stop minimum wage increases and deregulation. Like the Republican Party absolutely did victimize these people, but then, but at the same time has sold them a completely fabricated version of reality in which other people did it. Well, they've uh, chosen to know, further victimize themselves. That's a choice that they've made. Yeah. So it's, yeah, but it's, you, you know. Want to take and, if you want to take part in your own victimization have at it so kind of a i thought kind of crazy story is so there was a representative a republican representative in kentucky at the state level um who's also a winner of survivor he won the 2018 season uh, his name mm. is nick wilson and he has just proposed a bill uh, well, to change a kentucky law that designates sex with your first cousin as incest. He wants to remove uh, the clause around the first cousin. Yeah. So, which is kind of interesting. It's like, well, he could be very busy proposing lots of things, but this is, this is what he's chosen to put his time and energy into. And I uh -huh. would love to have some conversations with his first cousin. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you have to wonder what's going on in, in the Wilson family there. <laughs> I mean, it's just so interesting because, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but obviously in the last couple of years, Republicans have pushed this huge social panic around sex, right? I mean, it centers on LGBTQ folks, but extended into this idea that everyone's a groomer. Certainly anyone who doesn't vote Republican is a groomer. Your children are constantly under threat from drag queens, from, from all sides, from blood drinking leftist politicians, from Hollywood actors who, mm-hmm. I guess, are constantly on yeah, looking for children to pair with. I mean, they created... <laughs> They, they created this massive sex panic. And at the same time, they spend all of their time opposing anything that would protect what, what they say they're interested in. Children that would uphold. They have opposed every single time in the last couple of years that we've seen any kind of bills in state houses that would ensure that mi- child marriage, for example, isn't a yeah. thing. They have opposed it, right? That's, that's been a thing that we've seen yeah. again and again in state after state. This this kind of push for people to get with 14 and 15 year old, 16 year old uh, ripe girls, which is a thing we've seen a lot of conservative pundits push from Nick Fuentes to we're going to talk about Matt Walsh, um, you know, and then and then pushing the idea that getting together with uh, family is is something that maybe we should look into and 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 stop demonizing is it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And again, I know that it's always every accusation is a confession but it's it's mm-hmm. it's just so it's so right in bonkers <laughs> it's bonkers but it's it's just so out in the open as they they say this one thing and then actively work against yeah what they claim to be their interests yeah well it and yet it does make sense if you think about when they say they want traditional morality yeah what they mean is literally having sex with your cousin and marrying a 14 year old <laughs> and like, and, 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 and that's why the term Confederate Christianity is real. Like I, sometimes I think people think it's harsh to say that, uh, that that's what this is. Uh, but you know, like you just go down the line, like they are trying to enshrine hillbilly morality as the law of the United States. And because the fact is in the North, Northern states, child marriage was not common even before the Civil War. And and I know that because just as a side note, that the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, he had sex with numerous teenage girls and Mormons nowadays try to spin that off as well. It was more common back then to have marry 15-year-old girls as a man. And I actually looked it up and it wasn't common that the average age of a woman back in those days in the states that he lived in in the north was like, um, you know, late, like 19, 20, 23, et cetera. So there were no 15-year-olds really getting married in those days. and But they were in the South. <laughs> and, that, and like this, these, those, that stereotype is, exists because it has some truth to it. And like, that's what they're doing. I, and Matt Walsh is, as you hinted earlier, the Daily Wire host who now markets himself as kind of the king of the incels. And by the way, if you haven't seen a picture of Matt Walsh without his beard, you definitely should do it. Yeah. Uh, I recommend that to everybody. Yeah, absolutely he, the chin lift meme. Yeah, he really is. Um, so, but he he exemplified that. And as you said, he personally has been advocating for a number of years of not criminalizing child marriage. And, and now he, but at the same time, he wants to regulate other 
moralities that he does disapprove of. And, and of course, among those, his biggest obsession right now is, is uh, drag and uh, cross-dressing. So we need to normalize, once again, judging people for their private lives. Especially considering that for most people, um, everything you do is part of your quote-unquote private life. In the sense that if you're a private citizen, your, your whole life, you could argue, is your private life. So <clears throat> what judgments can we make about a guy who uh, dresses in drag? Well, um, we can know that this is someone who is uh, unbalanced, who is disturbed, who is, uh, this is a bizarre sort of person. Um, a bunch of other descriptions that you certainly don't want applied to the guy who runs one of the largest airlines in the world. He absolutely has a theocratic vision for America and wants to impose that on everybody. And that's the Christianity part. So it's the neo-confederate neo Christianity. That's, this is the worldview that we're up against. And I, I do think to some degree, there are some maybe always secular liberals or, or progressives that this doesn't seem real to them because they've never seen it in their own lives and they don't uh -huh. use right-wing media. So this isn't real to them. And yet this is actually what we're up against here. Th these are the viewpoints. This is backwoods Confederate Christianity. And that's how it is, whether you like that or not, or whether it seems harsh or unfair, that's how it is. Yeah. Agree. Well. All right. Well, that's our, our last one of the day here. Um, we've we got through the episode, the recording. <laughs> I celebrate uh, the fact that we got through and yeah, I need to get some more Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> I'm going to go running. I think that will be the best thing for me. Get me back oh, on track energy wise. My brain yeah. is functioning. Did you guys have snow in New York, by the way? Yes. Recently? We did. There's oh. actually, oh, wow. Okay. So I guess when we started this, it seemed like there was still a bit of snow outside. I would say maybe there was like an inch and a half or, or if that, but it was the first oh. time that there it, it snowed and stuck at all. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, we got a bit first time and there may be more on the way, but yeah. Okay. It's definitely yeah. cold. I mean, I, I've, it's, it's cold in a lot of places right now. It's very cold here. Certainly is. Certainly is. Even even in Southern California, it's cold. But that's what is for it? Us. What's what is what are you calling cold right now? Well, that's why I said for us. <laughs> I know. I, uh, I see you blushing. What is it that you're calling uh, cold? Well, the high today is sixty-two, Kelly. Oh <laughs> my! Wow, absolutely balmy. So the high it is currently twenty-four degrees outside. Yeah. The high today is going to be 24, so we will have, tomorrow it's going to go up to 33. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Maybe throw some yeah, stuff on the grill. I... <laughs> yeah, I try not to rub it in too much. Uh, <laughs> but it is true that we are big babies in Southern California about January and December weather. It... So we, we deserve I mean, everything's relative. I get it. <laughs> I mean, so... it's... It... It is all relative, but I mean, we are, yeah, it's just kind of bitter. I, I did try to go for a walk outside early this week and just 
forget it. It's you can be as bundled up as you want and you're fine, but like it just my face just got too cold. It was it was the face. I had to go inside. Up oh, and that's our um, time, it seems, as my it. shrink would say. So um I yeah. hope you feel better. Yeah, me too. And it sounds like you'll get your run. So Yeah. All right. Yeah. I will talk to you soon. Okay. All right. See ya. Bye. Up with people.